So in this practice of meditation uh, that we just uh, had the blessing to be able to uh, engage in uh, today, uh, our primary practice, uh, as it was for the Buddha, is the practice of mindfulness of breathing. Uh, we're blessed that the Buddha's teachings have been passed down, and specifically his instructions for mindfulness of breathing, anapanasate. Uh, we try in, in this tradition, the Theravada tradition, in the way that we teach, to, to, to follow the Buddha's instructions uh, as best as we understand them and, and as they work for us. And of course, there's always room for... Uh, the Buddha leaves us a lot of room because we have to find our own way through the process, but there's some basic basic principles in terms of the instructions for breath meditation. And the first step, uh, which we sometimes call directed thought, uh, we're putting the attention on the breath, right? So we're finding the, 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 a place to focus on the breath at one point. Uh, Ajahn Lee, the style that I teach in, comes largely from the style of Ajahn Lee, suggests various points such as the forehead, the, no the nostrils, the throat, the palate, the chest, the belly. Really could be anywhere that we can feel breath or breath energy. We choose one point and we, uh, and we focus on that point. And the, what enables us to be able to keep our attention on that point is, what called, is what's called directed thought. Uh, the mind doesn't just go there magically on its own and, and stay there. We have to essentially tell ourselves to focus on that point. Uh, so uh, that's a process of, we can think of it as reminding ourselves or remembering, keeping the breath in mind, as Ajahn Lee says. So that's step one. Uh, in step two, we're cultivating an experience of the breath that is easeful and pleasurable. Uh, and this is how we really develop stronger concentration, it's not enough just to put the attention on the object. We create an experience, uh, we shape our experience of the object, in this case the breath, that's amenable to the mind, so the mind will want to stay there. Because you only get so far in, in concentration practice, although most concentration practices are practices of forcing the attention onto the object, you only get so far that way in, in meditation and in life. Uh, what we want to do is create an experience of the breath, of the pres of the body, of the present moment, of our of life that's pleasurable, that's easeful. So we want to be with the breath, so we want to be with the body, so that we want to be with the present moment, so we want to be in this life. So we cultivate an experience of it that's easeful, that's pleasurable. So in, in, in doing that in step two, I'm going to spend a little bit of time today talking about step two, uh, uh, which is, 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 is a very subtle uh, aspect of breath meditation practice, one that tends to get glossed over a little bit. Some people uh, kind of want to move on from that. Uh, but it's really, uh, it's a very profound, very profound uh, uh, movement in uh, developing mindfulness and developing awareness and understanding our human experience. So it, in, in, in step two, as we're mindful of the breath, uh, 
and again, everybody may experience this somewhat differently, uh, but generally speaking, what we're looking to do is to notice what the breath feels like, and we're looking to see any, what I call, dis-ease in the breath. Is there dis-ease in the breath? Is there stress in the breath? Is the breath tight, tense, etc.? It's, uh, it's difficult to do that. You know, it takes practice. It requires developing sensitivity, uh, but it's really a key step in our process. The breath is a reflection of the mind. Nisara Bhikkhu talks about, you know, that this is really why we work with the breath and the Buddha had us work with the breath, is the breath is a reflection of the mind. If there is stress in the mind, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I challenge anybody to tell me that there's not stress in their mind on some level, uh, if there's stress in the mind, if there's dis-ease in the mind, if there's dissatisfaction in the mind, if there's inequality in the mind, that's dissonant, we can see that in the breath. Now again, that requires sensitivity, that requires discernment. This is actually the first movement of discernment that the Buddha teaches. If there's stress in the mind, uh, we can see that in the breath. We can see that in the breath. You don't have to say, oh, there's, I see that in the breath and that uh, I feel that because of this is going on in my life. Just, you don't need to do that. You just need to see that there's stress in the breath. The breath is tight, the breath is tense, the breath is contracted, whatever. Uh, again, this is practice over time. Over time, you learn to discern uh, what the breath is like. And, you know, I mean, I've practiced with this for many years, so I know what a very easeful breath feels like. You know, so I sort of measure my breath against, you know, the, the most easeful breaths that I've ever felt. Probably when I was on retreat or something, I felt a beautiful, easeful breath. It's like, do I feel that now? No. You know, all right, I feel some stress in the breath. There's some tightness, there's some tension in the breath, some disease towards the end of the in-breath. Uh, so if there's stress in the mind, uh, we can see, we learn to be able to see that stress in the breath. If we can see the stress in the breath, we can move towards the alleviation of the stress in the breath. If we see the stress in the breath, we can begin to uh, cultivate uh, a, a quality of non-stress or ease in the breath. This is the first noble truth, right? First noble truth, it's all right here, uh, begins with seeing suffering. If we can see our suffering, we can come to the end of suffering. If we can see stress in the breath, we can come to the end of stress in the breath. Uh, if we can see stress in the breath, we can come to the end of stress in the breath, we can find ease in the breath, and that can begin the process of finding ease and peace and freedom from suffering in the mind and can begin that process of uh, opening the heart. It all begins right there with the breath. That's why the Buddha said, if you can learn to be mindful of the breath and the way that I teach you to be mindful of the breath, the path will unfold for you and you'll find freedom from your suffering. Or as, as Tanis Rubiko sometimes says a little more succinctly, just be mindful of the breath. So uh, our practice is abandoning the stress in the breath, the dis-ease in the breath. We abandon 
the stress in the breath by seeing it and creating a relationship to it that's spacious and, and has understanding. Our practice is a practice of abandoning the stress in the breath and cultivating that easeful breath. So we cultivate that easeful breath. As we see the stress in the breath, the breath begins to regulate. We cultivate a very easeful breath. The practice is a practice of abandoning and cultivating, as I talked about last week. So we cultivate this very easeful, uh, pleasurable breath uh, this is the process that we're engaging in in step two uh, and we begin to start to understand in this step how the breath conditions the body. This is one of the most important cause and effect relationships in mindfulness of breathing or in the Buddha's practice. The breath conditions the body. If the breath is easeful, it'll start to bring ease to the body and the body conditions the mind. If the body is easeful, the mind, it brings ease to the mind. Uh, so this is a process of, of cultivating an easeful breath. It's, it begins the process of cultivating an easeful abiding in the body and a quality of ease and peace uh, in the mind. So in the practice, we, we uh, see how the breath conditions the body, and then gradually we open up the awareness to the full body. This is step three, and we cultivate an easeful and pleasurable abiding in the body. Uh, and then, of course, you know, our, our work isn't done there. Uh, really, the, you know, the, the, the goal of concentration practice uh, is, 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 is to be able to carry those qualities that are known as qualities of jhana, to be able to carry those qualities, to maintain those qualities in all postures when we're in the world when we're in the world. And this is always, and many of you went through this experience, you've been around for a long time, you know, this was always my, my challenge, my question, because you know, in my early years of practice, I did a lot of retreats, you know, and I was able to develop some concentration on retreats, but I couldn't carry it into the world. You know, everybody would say that. I go back to the city, I go back to my life, and, you know, and I'm back to my old you know, uh, ways of disease and unhappiness. So, you know, at that point in my practice, you know, I really began to look into what the Buddha taught and, and you know, looked for teachers who could teach me how to, uh, and it was right there, of course, in the Buddha's teachings, uh, how to maintain an easeful abiding uh, and these, this quality of lightness, uh, of brightness in all my postures. That's our, that's our objective. One of the things that uh, you know we talked about a lot on our retreat in April was about having a light touch. You know, you know and a lot of what we uh, we talked about on that retreat, uh, as we do often on retreats, is uh, uh, you know what are the, what's the time like in between the periods of meditation? You know, there's a lot of time in meditation, but of course there's other periods. There's lunch and going for walks and being in your room and brushing your teeth, et cetera. And uh, you know, what, what, are, what are we like? What's the body like? Do we have a light touch? Can we bring a light touch to our days? Right? Uh, you know, and, 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 and I think this is something for us to, to really think about. Uh, do we have a light touch? 
uh, do we have a light touch? Is there that quality of ease and lightness in the body, in our movements as we go throughout our days? I think a lot of the time, you know, we're besieged with anything but a light touch. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there may be stress, difficulty, negativity in the mind. Uh, you know, those are conditions that the mind, of course, is very susceptible to, and uh, that susceptibility is uh, promulgated by turning on the TV, you know, and talking to people who have negative attitudes uh, and allowing ourselves to dwell on things that we see in the world that are distasteful. Uh, you know, the, the operative word there being dwell. Uh, so, uh, you know, there may be, you know, and, I mean, you know, these days, as we as we often talk about, you know, are challenging with the way things are in the world and pandemic and things like that. Uh, you know, we're 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 always susceptible to uh, to clinging and uh, stress in the mind. So, uh, you know, and I just see this in my own mind how it's so easy to uh, to uh, you know really dwell in stressful states. And uh, you know, when there's stress uh, and negativity uh, and uh, dis-ease in the mind, the breath is riddled with dis-ease. You know, so we go through the day and the breath is riddled with dis-ease and the body is riddled with dis-ease. So there's dis-ease in the body. Right? Remember the, our, our cause and effect relationships. You know, the breath is a reflection of the mind. The body is a reflection of the mind. So, uh, you know, we go through our days and the body is, there's a quality of dis-ease in the body. We're not talking so much about physical uh, disease, although physical dis-ease can lead and often does lead to physical disease. We're talking about physical Disease, stress, tightness, contraction, tension, etc., in the body. Uh, when the mind is stressed, the breath is contracted, the body becomes contracted, and the energy that, when it's in its purest and most natural state, if you will, flows with ease throughout the body, the energy is blocked and cut off and detoured and dissipated. So the body, all the energy, the channels in the body are all contracted and tight. And the energy isn't flowing. And the body is tight and it's heavy and it's dull. And it's dull. There's this quality that I sometimes call a malaise, right? A malaise in the body. You know, it's all attributable to, you know, or largely attributable to physical dis-ease in the body. We've lost our quality of aliveness. The flow of energy, our aliveness has been, has been truncated and cut off and dispersed and dissipated. So 
in our practice where uh, we're opening up the body, you know, we're cultivating this easeful breath, we're opening up these channels throughout the body, we're cultivating this easeful flow throughout the body, uh, we're developing this light touch, this light touch, this lightness, or uh, the term I was using in the sitting today, it's a term that Ajahn Lee often uses, is refreshment, right? We're bringing this quality of refreshment to the body. So the energy flows easily throughout the body. In the Dhammapada, uh, the Buddha puts it this way. He says, drinking the nourishment. This is nourishment. Good food. Good food. This is good food for the mind and the body. We eat a lot of food. There's bad food. There's the so-called bad food of what's on the TV and all that stuff and on the phone and on the computer. And then there's the good food. The good nourish, the good nourishment. You have to, the body, we have to feed. We have to feed. All beings subsist on food, the Buddha said. So we, we give ourselves good food. We will feast on rapture like the radiant gods, as the Buddha said. We who have nothing will feast on rapture like the radiant gods. And also in the Dhammapada, the Buddha says, drinking the nourishment, the flavor of seclusion and calm, one is freed from evil, devoid of distress refreshed with the nourishment of rapture in the Dhamma. So we have this light touch, this quality of refreshment that we're able to uh, bring to our days, to go through our days with. We're connected to our aliveness. You know, we're connected to our aliveness. I mean, I, I like to think about this a lot, you know, uh, Am I moving towards a quality of aliveness, or uh, you know, is my my life energy, you know, my life energy, which is really that breath energy, is it being cut off and truncated and contracted? So, so how are we, you know? So this is our job, you know, when we're in the meditation, you know, we're trying to develop this easeful abiding, this lightness. Uh, but in the world, we have to pay attention to this. When we're in the world, how are we when we're in a room, we're in the world? Are we heavy? Are we tight? Are we contracted? Are we trudging? You know, are you a trudger? Are we trudging through the world? Or do we move through the world with ease? Do we have a light touch? It's like what I was telling to the folks on the retreat, you know? You, know, so you can bring that to your meditation, right? You can bring that, ah, oh, the meditation, ah, oh, it's so hard, ah, oh, the retreat, oh, it's so hard, oh, the sitting, Dubinin is having us meditate on a Sunday morning for 30 minutes, ah, oh, it's so hard, it's so tight, you know? The meditation, I mean, that's how I was for years. I would sit there in the meditation, it was like a knot. That's how I was in my life, you know? And I learned to, in the meditation, to bring that light touch to that sense of ease to the meditation. You know, and then I could learn, you know, and that's why I spend time talking about the meditation, because that's the place where we learn. You know, you learn to develop that lightness. So I learned to meditate with a state of ease and a state of well-being. You know, sometimes there's just that sense of lightness and ease, and the meditation is just really, you know, there's just that quality of brightness in the mind, and that's when concentration really develops. That's when 
you know, meditation really flourishes when we have that quality of lightness around it. And it's the same thing in life. It's the same thing in life, you know? And I was just the opposite. I was like, oh, gotta accomplish this, gotta do that, gotta make this happen, gotta, you know? I mean, to some extent that was, you know, there was some good things about that because I had a, you know, I just, I was going about it all the wrong way. I was going about it all the wrong way. You know, that pushing and that, you know, that over effort, efforting and the contraction and the tightness, you know? I mean, for me, I had to really learn to, to really bring a quality of ease and lightness and, you know, I'm still learning and that quality of refreshment to, to my days and really that begins with the body and my movements in the day, my movements in the day. Um, you know, and I, I always think, you know, I, I, I had to learn that because I, you know, I, 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 I had a really challenging early years, you know, of, of childhood, you know, really having a very abusive father and uh, suffered a lot of physical and emotional abuse and, uh, uh, you know, was always kind of like very much in a, in a knot and fearful and, uh, uh, you know, really always was in a ball. And, you know, I mean, you know, the heart understands, you know, the, the mind understands that uh, this isn't the way that we're going to be able to live and live well. I just didn't know how to develop a different quality and way of being in the world. So, you know, I mean, for me, I looked for a way of, of finding ease in, in substances and in alcohol and in drugs, you know, and of course that didn't work. That just made it worse. Other people use other things, you know, you know, and I found the Dhamma. You know, it was, I was able to start to open up to myself and to my body and to find a quality of ease and find a quality of well-being and a lightness and connect to my aliveness, you know, my birthright, if you will. You know, so I was highly motivated to, to do step two, <laughs> you know, if you really want to put it down in very prosaic terms. Um, so how are we? You know, as we move through the world, do we have a light touch? In the natural meditation, when we're in the world, you know, we want to be connected to the breath, and we want to be in the body so that we can go through the world so that we're present, we can pay attention to our actions, but, you know, we want to go through the world with a sense of ease. Right? We want to go through the world. We want to be in our days uh, connected to our aliveness. So one of the real important parts of uh, mindfulness practice, and it falls under the aegis of the, uh, the second foundation of mindfulness, which is a very misunderstood or misused concept, uh, mindfulness of feeling tone, is as you go throughout the course of your day, notice what's the body like. Is the body getting contracted and tight? tight? Maybe it's subtle, maybe it's not so subtle. Is there dis-ease in the body as you're going throughout the course of the day? Even right now, notice what the body is like. Is there tightness? Is there tension in the body? So, you know, as you go through your day, you're noticing that. That's, that's mindfulness. That's mindfulness of how the body is disposed, right? So you're noticing any contraction or tightness. The way through contraction and tightness and stiffness and non-aliveness and malaise to see that. 
just to bring that simple awareness to it. You don't need to do a lot more. You never notice that your shoulders are like this and you go throughout the, the day? Oh, there's my shoulders. You know, they just drop right back down in. But you gotta know, if you don't notice your shoulders are like this, you know, they're gonna be like this all day. You could go days when your shoulders are all scrunched up. You know, so notice the scrunching. Right? That'll be one of my new words, the scrunching, the contraction, the disease, the scrunching. Notice how the body is scrunching and tightening and tensing. And then replace that with ease, with ease. So we're learning to connect or reconnect, if you will, to our aliveness, right? We're learning to reconnect to our aliveness. We're learning to reconnect to uh, our goodness and you know the goodness of all beings. Uh, this bright quality, this quality of aliveness. I always like uh, when I do metta practice to uh, use that visualization that I suggested that you might want to try today. And some people find that difficult. Oh, I can't find a moment. Uh, you know, as I've just, you know, explained to some extent, you know, you know, there were a lot of difficult moments in my childhood, but there were certainly moments when I knew that, you know, that, that brightness, you know, and that aliveness that a child knows, right, when he's playing, when he's playing with his friends on the street on a summer day, you know. So, you know, there's just that remembrance of that that aliveness, what it is just to be alive and to know that in the body and to feel that sense of uh, aliveness and have that quality of brightness. That's happiness. That's why we use that reflection in doing metta, may I be happy of heart. Oh yeah, that child who was on his bicycle on the summer day, you know, and just driving, riding the bike through the the streets with no place to go and there's that sense of ease and well-being and, and refreshment in the body and the brightness in the heart. The Buddha said, uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're, we're connecting to that. We're beginning the process of connecting to that in doing this in the meditation. The Buddha said, uh, and better than a hundred years lived undiscerning, uncentered, is one day lived by a discerning person absorbed in jhana. So, you know, this is, you know, jhana is, you know, is, is, is concentration, but it's developed through discernment. You know, discernment really begins in that second step. Better than a hundred years lived undiscerning, uncentered, is one day lived by a discerning person absorbed in jhana and better than a hundred years lived apathetic and unenergetic is one day lived energetic and firm. Better than a hundred years lived apathetic and unenergetic is one day lived energetic and firm. Or maybe it's just one moment of knowing uh, you know, that quality of energy, that life energy, that aliveness that quality of aliveness. So it just starts with one day, as the Buddha said, or one moment, right? It, it's just that one moment we're connecting to our aliveness. It's like when I go through the day, you know, and I'll notice, you know, it's like, oh, you're trudging, you know? 
everybody has their own words. You know, my word, you know, you're trudging, you're heavy, you've gotten tight, you've gotten tense. You know, it's like, I don't need most of a lot of the time, like, let me figure out what's going on here. Well, it's, you know, it's the situation in the world and it's from when I was a kid and it's like, it's just like, bring some aliveness to this moment. Can you find a light step? Can you find a light step? Can you feel that and of lightness in the body? You can all do it right now. I mean, you could get up off your seat and, and, and do a little dance. You don't have to. You can do it. You can do it internally, right? You just find that lack. When I do that, it's like, oh yeah, I'm alive. There's this quality of aliveness in the body. So I just try to incline to that as I go through my day. Like, you know, it's like we're just we're dropping down into the earth, right? You know, we're dropping down into the earth, and there's that the earth element. You know, the earth element is just so out of whack. You know, it's just so out of whack. You know, so we're you know it's, we're so out of we're so out of you know. So just like bringing that that that's that's the breath. The breath is the wind element. It's the energy element. We're bringing that energy back up. It's right there. Now, of course, I've been practicing with that for, for decades, but you know, it's like, just bring that back up. Find that lightness. Find that lightness. Find that light touch. It's right there. So we're reconnecting to our goodness, you know, the goodness of that child, our aliveness. Also from the Dhammapada, the Buddha says, if you're respectful by habit, constantly honoring the worthy, remembering the goodness in life and in yourself, Four things increase. Long life, beauty, happiness, and strength. These are the qualities of the Dharma student. You know? I think sometimes, you know, we have these ideas of the Dharma student, you know, being this, you know, person with the hair shirt, you know, and you know, in some in some, you know, cave, you know, in some dark place meditating. You know, these are the qualities the Buddha delineates. Long life, beauty, happiness, strength. And there is this quality of strength, you know, that comes uh, from our aliveness. So, uh, you know, and then when we have these qualities, then we're in position to let go of our burdens. Then we're in position to let go of our burdens. In our practice, we, we, we first put ourselves in position to let go of our burdens. We develop these qualities, this kind of inner strength, uh, we develop an understanding of what's possible when we give up our burdens. Because we're never going to give up our burdens if we don't understand that there's something on the other side of our burdens. But we begin to understand that there is something on the other side of our burdens. And uh, now we're in position uh, to start to ask, what are the burdens that we might let go of? If they're the external burdens this different sense experiences or people in our lives that we may need to let go of or uh, our different views and opinions and habits and practices and ways that we create self-identity. You know, the burden of our stories. The burden of our stories. I mean, the burden of our stories really weighs us down. It's a key practice to be heedful of thinking. And actually, I'll, I think I'll talk about that next week in terms of uh, looking at you know some of the burdens that are weighing us down, uh, but first we have to have to begin to uh, put ourselves in position of strength, of happiness, 
uh, of uh, a real connection to our goodness and our brightness and our aliveness and this quality of refreshment, concentration, and jhana, so that we can meet our experiences and let go of our burdens. So can we develop uh, this light touch like the child in that reflection, that child at play, you know, that child at play. And that's why you know, the reflection can often be helpful as uh, helping remind us and connect us you know, to our, our understanding that's in the heart, our understanding of Dhamma that's there, of what it means to be in this world with a light, light touch. And as I said, this is, you know, this is happiness. This is, we have these ideas about uh, what happiness is, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, when, when we start to really look and to see and, and to ask the heart, you know, the heart has different ideas about, about what happiness is. And we begin to understand that as we come in tune and in touch with our aliveness. I always like this. Uh, I'll just read this kind of quickly, and I know our time is getting long. And, and, and this will be in the notes. This passage from Thomas Merton has always been uh, one of my, uh, my favorites. Uh, so, and again, he's coming from a Christian uh, background, but I think we can all uh, be okay with that, right? Uh, Martin said, what is serious to men is often very trivial in the sight of God. What in God might appear to us as play is perhaps what he himself takes most seriously. At any rate, the Lord plays and diverts himself in the garden of his creation. And if we could let go of our own obsession with what we think is the meaning of it all, we might be able to hear his call and follow him in his mysterious cosmic dance. We do not have to go very far to catch echoes of that game and of that dancing. When we are alone on a starlit night, when by chance we see the migrating birds in autumn descending on a grove of junipers to rest and eat, when we see children in moment when they are really children, when we know love in our hearts, or when, like the Japanese poet Asha, we hear an old frog land in a quiet pond with a solitary splash. At such times, the awakening, the turning inside out of all values, the newness, the emptiness, and the purity of vision that make themselves evident provide a glimpse of the cosmic dance. For the world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. The silence of the spheres is the music of a wedding feast. The more we persist in misunderstanding the phenomena of life, the more we analyze them out into strange finalities and complex purposes of our own, the more we involve ourselves in sadness, absurdity, and despair. But it does not matter much, because no despair of ours can alter the reality of things or stain the joy of the cosmic dance, which is always there. Indeed, we are in the midst of it, and it is in the midst of us, for it beats in our very blood, whether we want it to or not. Yet the fact remains that we are invited to forget ourselves on purpose, cast our awful solemnity to the winds, and join in the general dance. So let's just close our eyes just for a second.